You're listening to Penguin, live at the London Palladium, showcasing some of the wonderful, diverse voices from across the Penguin Random House group. Here's our compare, Emily Maitlis. Now, our next guests have all found their voice to either tell their own extraordinary life story or to help others find theirs. Tara Westover, author of the recently published Educated, overcame difficult obstacles en route to finding her voice. That is perhaps the understatement of the afternoon. Having grown up in rural Idaho in a religious survivalist family, she'd never set foot in a classroom until she was 17. Determined to be educated, Tara's extraordinary story led her to Harvard and then to Cambridge, where she gained a PhD. Please welcome Tara Westover. to say I was gripped by educated from the first page this whole concept of a little girl living such a different childhood to the experience many of us will know and and probably not even being aware of how different it was at that stage were you aware when I was a child, I really wasn't. I knew that we lived in a different way than the other kids in our town, and I thought of them as public school kids, and we weren't. But I thought we were right, you know? Mm. Our way of living, I thought, was just the right way. So I differently than I would feel now. You, you, I described as a religious survivalist community. Your, your thought, there was a mistrust of government, which is something that we sort of we hear about, but it doesn't... I don't think there is a sort of corresponding UK equivalent, but there was this sense of your, fa your father trying to get your mother to become a midwife, to make her so self-sufficient that, you know, people wouldn't even need hospitals. She could do everything with herbs and stuff, right? Well, my father was skeptical of a lot of different things. Right. So public, public schools was just one of those things. It was also doctors and hospitals, which is why my mother became a midwife and an herbalist, and also anything to do with the government, which is why I didn't have a birth certificate until I was nine. Because we didn't go to school and we didn't go to the doctor, that effectively meant, according to the state of Idaho and the federal government, I didn't exist. There but it wasn't so much a community, I should say. It was very much my father, just his view. So in a way my whole understanding of the world, because we were isolated, was very much limited to his understanding of the mm. world. Mm. And there was this extraordinary chapter um, that Tara counts where your mum finally gets a phone installed in the house, and that's sort of seen as a real act of defiance, isn't it? And then she tries, spends hours on the phone trying to get the birth certificates, and, and they say, when, you know, when were you born, or when was your brother born? And she's like, well, I think it was May, but it might have been June, you know? Or she couldn't quite get the date of your own birthday, right? So technically, you don't even know when your birthday is, right? Mine is narrowed down to a couple of days. So I'm, I'm, no, I don't know the exact date, but I have it fairly narrowed down. But a lot of the book is about memory and history and who gets to tell mm. people's stories. And I think one of the problems with being isolated like that, with not having access to an education, is that you don't get access to different perspectives and histories and interpretations. And so you are very vulnerable to having one person come into your life and tell you this is what the world is, this is what doctors are, this is what schools are, this is what the government is. And so I would say when I was younger and I had never been to school, that was probably the biggest difference between who I am now and who I was then, I think now I'm a lot less vulnerable to one person coming in and saying, this is what everything means. Because that chance for an education, um, which you describe, and it's, it's sort of heart-wrenching, actually, is the moment that your, your grandmother 
sees that you need to go to school and she says, come on, come with us, we're going to Arizona. And you're a very young girl and you have to decide whether to just take a chance and go and you describe the, the dawn rising and Tara deciding whether she can, you know, this, the, another act of defiance to go and get educated, which is what it would have been, right? Yeah, and I think, I think my grandmother did understand that it was, it was important not to just have your own family's mm. views, that it's important to be able to go out and explore different ideas and different histories. And so when I was 16, that's when I decided to educate myself. And I didn't even know if I would be able to go to college because I had so little formal education. But I was able to teach myself barely enough math, barely enough grammar to kind of sneak into a university when I was 17. And that's when things really started to change. That's when I was exposed to histories that I'd never known about, the civil rights movement or the Holocaust. One of my first lectures, I raised my hand and asked what the Holocaust was out loud because I had never heard of it. And once I had, I mean, these things, they move the needle. It's hard to conceive of the world in the same way once you've learned about those things. And I think it was those kind of experiences that gave me the ability to hold on to my own perspective and my own interpretation, not just of historical events, but also of the events that were happening in my own family. And there were a lot of things that were happening even in our little family history that they were occurring and then the interpretation put on them was such that uh, you know, we call it gaslighting or normalizing when things are kind of denied almost in the moment that they're happening. And I, I actually think that there was a correlation between being able to have my own ideas about history and about the world that were different from my father's and being able to have my own interpretation of my own life. And do you, this may sound a, a, an odd take, but do you ever look back and think actually that did give me an extraordinary sense of perspective because really no one else would have had that. You had a much less conventional upbringing than so many others. Do you think of it in some way as being a, I don't know, a richer one? There are moments, there are things about my upbringing I really appreciate. Then my parents taught us that they had a very proactive idea of what learning was. Mm. And so they always taught us that you can teach yourself anything better than right. someone else can teach it to you. And this is something I really appreciate because I think education, there's an idea of education that it is, it's, it's the individual's quest for knowledge and truth and learning and gaining access to all of these different views. And then there is the human institution that we've created to try to bring that about. And that is flawed. And it has all of the problems of any human institution where it has inequality, it has bias, it has hierarchy. And it, in a way, I'm, I am grateful that my introduction to education and my, my conception of what it was wasn't the institutional kind of passive essays, exams, worksheets. That's not what my family thought an education was. Was it also because you were, you were, by the time you got to it, you were so hungry to learn? I guess that that was part of the, of the thrill for you, wasn't it? The yeah, and I think it was the kind of thing that once I had started, I had, to, I had to really follow through with it. And so I ended up getting a PhD in history from Cambridge because once I did start to learn about all of these things and all of the ways that that changes your mind and the way that you see things, it could become a kind of addiction. It is just the most uh, inspiring story, Tara. It's amazing to have you here and to hear your voice and uh, Tara Westover's Educated is on sale. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, lovely to see you. We'll just bring up that side and get us A different voice now with a very singular story to tell, which will, I think, strike a lot of 
chords here in this audience in particular. How does it feel to respond to an emergency call knowing that someone's life hangs in the balance or to put your own life in danger to save someone else? Our next guest is a London firefighter whose career has seen him serve on the front line of some of London's most high-profile emergencies, including the Croydon tram derailment and more recently the tragedy at Grenfell Tower. Here to tell us his story in his forthcoming book, Into the Fire. Please give a warm round of applause to Edric Kennedy McFoy. And Edric, I think this has been a year when the public have come to understand and to see your work as a firefighter, as a London firefighter, more closely than maybe any other. You were right in the heart of Grenfell, weren't you, yeah. it, last June. Can you tell us a little bit about what that gave you, what that taught you? Oh, yeah, it was, um, it was a very um, difficult job, unlike anything I've seen in my 13-year um, 13 13 year career. And, um, <sighs> yeah, lessons... I guess lessons, it was an extraordinary uh, situation, something that I've never come across and something the London Fire Brigade has, has never come across. Um, so, you know, there's an ongoing investigation, mm. but I feel the lessons that we can take away from it. I think, if I'm honest, the greater lessons, I, I think, lie in why something like that was allowed to happen in the first place, you know, in, in 2017. Um, but as an organisation, you know, after any major incident, we always review our policies and procedures and, you know, things that need to be changed and need to be amended will be amended. Like even um, in the last couple of weeks, I believe the commissioner went to, um, went to Germany to have a look at you know, aerial ladder platforms, you know, so better equipment that, yeah. that can serve us better in situations like that. Um, our breathing apparatus policy will be looked at again because obviously firefighters broke policies and procedures, you know, to go in there. But and this, do what is, they had to do. this is a book, when you're writing Into the Fire, it is a very personal account of what it feels like for you just to be, to get that phone call, to see the devastation that lies ahead, to know that you're actually going in when everyone is trying to come out. That must have. That must have just left an enormous sort of um, an enormous trauma with you. Yeah, I mean it's um, obviously it's a it's a job that we're trained to do, mm. a, a job that we're paid to do. Um, yeah, my my life experiences before the job. You know, I lost my mother just before I started the job. My best friend died a year before I started the job, mm. and you know, dealing with deaths you know, 15 deaths in the last 12 years. I've been in a job of people close to me. That kind of sets me up for the job, and I've always been able to deal with, you know, death whenever I see it, whether it's a road traffic collision or if someone's jumped in, in front of a train. But, yeah, I think Croydon tram derailment was the first one that actually, you know, got me because it was the, the number of, of, of casualties. And obviously Grenfell, yeah, I've never seen... Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. It, it left me um, a broken man, to be honest. I was um, 
suffered from um, PTSD and um, experienced anxiety and depression for the first was time in my life. Was that where the writing came from? Did you sort of think this is a way of turning it into something that is more constructive or...? Yeah, I do just... think, I mean, as I said, I've, I've had, you know, many challenges, trials, tribulations throughout my life. And, um, yeah, I do think, you know, life is all about overcoming challenges and, you know, learning from it, but then also sharing it with others mm. so that other people know that, you know, they're not alone and despite what you go through in life, you can always come out on the other side. This is a profound book and your experiences will, I think, you know, touch the heart very quickly. Um, but as you say, Grenfell came in the last year of a, you know, a long, a 13-year already mm. career there. And you've also had some slightly ridiculous lighter moments um, in the force as well, haven't you, in the fire brigade? Uh, there's a, a story of a, a woman who keeps on getting her toes stuck in the bath. That happens. <laughs> when you say that happens, is well, it that, just the one woman well, that, or is it like women everywhere? That happens. <laughs> I, I wish it was women everywhere because it's not... <laughs> to be honest, it's not a bad job to go to, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the, the, the book has, you know, obviously dark moments, as, as you say, you know, Grenfell, which is a horrific tragedy in which people lost their lives. Croydon Tram Development, but you know, there are also you know, funny times in job that are very light. So um, when I first started, I was at, at Ryslip Fire Station and early on we received a, a call, a lady with a toe stuck in the bath. So I thought to myself, okay, I had a laugh with the guys before we went there. And Does it mean like in the plug? Yeah, you know, she just put a toe in the tap. Yeah. Oh, in the tap, okay. Yeah, she just put a toe in the tap, yeah. So, um, <laughs> It's unbelievable, really, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so, so I had a laugh with the guys before we got there. And even when we got there, I thought to myself, is this, this is some sort of prank. This is a, it's like an initiation, welcome to, welcome to the fire brigade. But, so, yeah, so we, we got in, slipped the lock, we've, we've gone upstairs. I obviously went in first because I thought it would be a great training opportunity. <laughs> and, um, and, um, yeah, so I've knocked, knocked on the bathroom door, yeah, London fire brigade, oh, yeah, come in. So I've come in, this lady's, like, she's... Mid to late thirties, quite attractive, but she's, she's got a toe just in, in the in the bath. So I said, "Ah, oh, yeah, you seem to be in a spot of bother here." Um, <laughs> yeah, I've come to her, and she's like, "Oh, yeah, you know, I always I've done this a few times. So sorry." Uh, I said, "Okay, let me um, let me see what I can do to help." And I looked at my colleague who's by the door. I thought it was a joke, and he just looked at me like, "Go on, Ed, get on with it." And I just I thought, "Okay," so I just. Put my hand in the bath water. There was loads of bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she was wearing. Bubbles, <laughs> yeah, she was wearing yeah. bubbles. So, 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 so I grabbed me a load of bubbles and I, I just, with the minimal force, the kind of force you'd use to stroke a dog, I just, and it just came out. <laughs> so I just looked at her and she was like, "Yeah, sorry about that." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Yeah, that's no, all right. That's, that's what I'm here to do." Like I said. <laughs> I said, do you want so, to be, be a bit more careful right. in the future? Yeah. Did, did, did you get the same call from the same woman? Do you know what? I, that happened two or three times. <laughs> and, and it didn't... Yeah, it didn't... Um, she couldn't have known that I was on shift. <laughs> you know? So maybe a couple of guys from the other watches got it. But then one day it came to an end and maybe she got a warning from the brigade or something. But I was... I was um, Sad. I was glad that it came to an end because I couldn't, I couldn't deal with seeing that. Do you that, get um, a lot of... I mean, do, do you ever... 
you know, it, it's such an extreme, isn't it, your job, with something like that and, and to, to real tragedy. Do you get frustrated when people... We always hear about the crazy, the crazy callers, you know, sort of calling up 999 to ask why KFC's run out of chicken or something. You did, I mean, did you get frustrated with that sort of stuff? Yeah, I haven't had the KFC chicken one, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> you know, well, we, like, I'm part of the fire rescue unit um, and... Um, you know, we're a specialist unit and we go out to special rescues. So we've got a fire boat and we go out to water rescues. And um, one day we got called to a swan, a swan trapped mm. in, a, in a lake on some fish wire. We got there and once again, I've been there for a few years now, so I knew we can get these jobs. And I thought, you know, is this, are we really here to, to, to get this swan? Um, so I just, we, we had to deploy our, our, our rescue boat, blow it up. <laughs> Put the engine on the boat and mm, out there. There was a pub with loads of people watching, just yeah, go on. <laughs> and I was just, the sun was shining, you know, it was overtime as well because I was meant to finish in half an hour. And it was one of those days where I was just looking up and I was thinking, am I, am I really getting paid to do this? Is this, is this, you know, is this a job? So we went and we rescued the swan. And don't get me wrong, I, you know, that someone had to rescue the swan, but I do think it's a. <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a waste of um, resources. But I'm a vegan now, and I've been vegan for 16 months, so, you know, now, my attitude then was, bloody swan. But now it's like, well, hey. Swan. <laughs> <laughs> We're all the same. <laughs> I, think, I think we can safely say every day is different yeah. in your job. Do you know what? That's what I love about the job. You know, you, you, you go into work and, you know, from day to day, you, you don't know what you're going to be doing, you know. Are you going to be going to um, a Grenfell? You know, are you going to be just training all day. Some days you might not even get a shout, you know, but there's a range of, you know, spectrum of jobs yeah. that, that we do. We go to schools and we talk to the kids about fire safety. We go to homes and fix smoke alarms and once again talk about fire safety. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah. Well, we can't wait to read Into the Fire. Edric, thank you so much thank indeed. You. Lovely to see yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My toe's OK. <laughs> Penguin Random House is the proud publisher of Roald Dahl. Here's Kitty Peterkin singing from the hit musical Matilda, accompanied by Catherine Woolley on piano and Justin Pearson on cello.
silence, but not really silent. Just that still sort of quiet, like the sound of a page being turned in a book, or a pause in a walk in the woods. I've said. 